Hello, thanks for tuning in to the Trinity Church Nottingham podcast. It's great to have you with us. My name's Johnny, together with my wife Amy, we lead this church here in the centre of Nottingham. Our vision is to see the church on fire and the city alive. If we can help you in any way at all, please feel free to get in touch and email us at info at trinitychurchnottingham.org. Okay, let's jump into the podcast. as a family and um, it was we had a great time and uh, it's even better to be back and we just uh, love being here and uh, just before we went away we went to some friends house and we went to celebrate with them they were welcoming in uh, their family a new child and so we went along and we had some dinner together some lovely meatballs if I remember correctly and had a fantastic time just celebrating it's we sort of reach that point with our children. They've got young children too. We've got young children. Sort of reach that point where you can just sort of, you know, empty out your children into the house when you arrive and leave them and pick them up a few hours later. And this is particularly good when you're in somebody else's house. Because what they tend to do is they sort of like depart you and you go and have what I've forgotten uh, the, what this thing was, but it's called adult conversation. You can talk about things and, you know, you can even, you know, you can sort of finish a whole sentence, you know, without being interrupted. It's fantastic. So we did this for a, a little while and then we picked up the children uh, at the end and, and because our friends had been hosting, I presume they then took the next few hours cleaning up their house. But we went home, put them in the car and put them to bed and, and continued our conversation after they'd gone to sleep. We did get a text message from uh, our friends later on that evening though saying, hey, just to check, did any of your children uh, mention the graffiti? It was going so well. The meatballs were so tasty, oh, didn't want an after course of graffiti. But no, we, we said, well, we, we haven't heard about it, but let us ask them, so we did. We went up and asked them, hey, just uh, any of you? Graffiti? Ring any bells? And they all, no, no, it wasn't us. Mum and Dad, it wasn't us. And so we sort of said, well, you know, let's trust them on that. And so we went back and said, no, nobody's owning up to it. And of course, at this point, our friends had done some digging with their kids and had asked what had happened. And, and we found out, in fact, one of the, the youngest, the young well, uh, not the youngest child, actually, the second child, Mabel, uh, had owned up to graffiti. It was, after all, her own bed. Graffiti. So we were wondering, well, what's the graffiti in here? This is what Mabel had written on her own bed. Now, I don't know if you can see that there, but what that says is, do a new thing. I don't know what they're feeding them other than the meatballs. <laughs> but it's not the kind of thing my kids are graffitiing on their own bed. Do a new thing, God. You know what's incredible about that? I mean, is that. As far as I'm aware, that we're not necessarily using that language in our in Kiss Church. I don't actually know what they're doing with them down there, but they're, they are on fire. God is doing something amongst our kids. It's profound, it's powerful. We had a prophetic word given to us toward the end of last year, and, and, and the word was that God is raising up a generation of revivalists in this place. And what we actually believe, I thought that fantastic, that you know, it must be, I just didn't, I assumed that must be for sort of big church. And by the grace of God, I think it, it might be we may get included in it. But I think clearly God's already begun to do that amongst our kids. And 
And Mabel was just naming that, this prayer, this simple prayer that God would do something new among us. Now, if you don't like the sound of that, then this church may not be for you. Because we are praying. In fact, the whole uh, reason for our existence is that we believe God has called us to come here to gather people together hungry for his presence. Now, there's no doubt that when Jesus walked the earth in first century Galilee, a new thing began to kick off. There was newness all around. And, and if you read the Gospels, any of the Gospels, the four biographies of Jesus, if you're new here, uh, the beginning of the New Testament, the bit that concerns Jesus and the life of the early church, uh, there are four biographies of Jesus. They're called the Gospels. Gospel just means good news. Uh, you read any of them, you see that newness is right at the core of what Jesus is all about. And so we see newness defined and described in so many different ways. You see people being healed, people who have... A long-term illnesses often just being instantaneously healed, often by the touch of Jesus, sometimes actually from a distance. Sometimes Jesus would even go to the place where those people are, he just says a word, and from a distance the people are healed. That's physical newness. We see uh, people recognizing a new authority that's resident in this man, Jesus, that they've never seen before. He looks and sounds a little bit like their religious leaders. But he doesn't behave at all like them because he's not just parroting information that's being given to him. He's saying new stuff in a new way. He can back up what he's saying with his actions. We see new excitement and hunger. We see crowds gathering. We see a new message, the message that the kingdom of God is at hand. We see new opposition. We see new favor. And we see a new level of demonic uh, a spiritual opposition as well, demonic activity. Jesus is opposed by humans, but also uh, by spiritual forces as well. This created huge opposition. Whenever anything new happens, there's opposition. Whenever anything new happens, there is opposition. And in the time of Jesus, there was opposition from the religious conservatives. Now, I don't want to say too much about the conservatives in case we get lost in politics. And I promise myself I wouldn't mention Brexit today. There, I've done it. Uh, the religious conservatives, of course, not political uh, uh, conservatism, but the religious conservatives today opposed Jesus. They were known as the Pharisees, and I've got to say to you, you may not know anything about the Pharisees, but what I've got to say to you is that the Pharisees have got a really bad rap, but at their core, they were people who were trying to steward what God was going to do. They'd been praying for 400 or more years about this coming move of God that they fully intended to be part of. Their own hope and expectation is that by... Uh, fastidious, that is to say, close obedience to the law, the Jewish law, that they could partner with God in renewal. They wanted to see renewal. It was what they were all about. And yet when Jesus came, they chose to oppose him. Because they'd become more committed to the means of renewal than the renewal itself. And so when it came, they tried to shut the new thing down, make them feel uncomfortable. That this Jesus didn't seem holy enough. It was too messy. That was the conservatives. <laughs> Unless you think that the progressives got it right. No. The progressives, the Sadducees, were those people who had aligned themselves so closely with the power of that day 
But Jesus was too much of a disruption. He was too frightening to them. Because everything that they'd begun to build by this alliance with Herod and with Roman power, Jesus was in danger of upturning. He was too politically toxic to them. Whenever the new crashes into the old, there is friction, there is revolution, and every revolution creates opposition. So Jesus is opposed. This isn't news to anyone who's read the Bible. You know the almost end of the story. Jesus is crucified because the opposition became so fierce. The message that he carried became so dangerous that they had to find a way to put it to bed, and the only way to do that was to kill him. And in the midst of the opposition, Jesus begins to speak in strange ways. Ways which are both familiar to the people around him, but also deeply unfamiliar. He begins to speak not plainly, but in story form. And these stories are known as parables. And we've been in a series where George has been doing a great job of taking us through, not just George, Taking us through these parables. But I've got to say about these parables, they are so misunderstood in the church. Throughout history, that they are known as the kind of fluffy stories. You know, you might not like the stuff later in Matthew's Gospel where Jesus starts to rebuke all sorts of people, but at least he can get on board with the parables. They're fluffy. He speaks about things like fish and sheep and all these kinds of things and seed, and it's so lovely. We can teach them to our children. Aren't they wonderful? But actually, the, the parables aren't like that. They're not meant to be fluffy stories that belong to the kids. They are, in fact, as Eugene Pinkston said, ticking time bombs. The whole point of a parable is you would take it with you, and as you were walking away, you would realize, Oof! Oh, that was for me. Oh my gosh, that was for me. They'd creep in the front door unopposed, and all of a sudden they would... Explode in your hands, thank you. We've heard them described as earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. Nothing could be further from the truth. These parables have a profound right here, right now meaning. If you try and push the interpretation of them into the eternal future, you miss them. It's about here, it's about now, it's about the kingdom, and it's usually about repentance. These are coded messages. And the reason that Jesus has to use them is because he's become so dangerous. That if he were to speak openly about his agenda, about his identity, he would either be taken as king by the crowds, which they did try to do, or he'd be crucified then and there by the ravens. He has to speak in code. And so he uses the parables. And today, I, I want to look at one particular parable. And it's in Matthew 13. And if you do have a Bible, today would be a good day to actually have one in front of you. So if you do, you can open that up. We will have the text on the screen. But we're going to begin in Matthew 13, verse 1. And this is what we read. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such a large crowds gathered there gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables. He told them many things in parables. Okay? Now, 
just to give you a bit of context to make this, as Alan Scott says here, by the way, if you, if you want some great teaching to be uh, listening to in a week, uh, please just uh, encourage you, uh, Vineyard Anaheim have just done a series on parables, it's fantastic. Uh, you may notice some crossover on this particular sermon. Uh, Alan Scott's just been teaching fun, just phenomenal stuff on parables, so just, you know, you might want to check that out. Uh, but in, uh, in Matthew 13, what we see is that Jesus is, is beginning to teach. He's beginning to teach the people in parables. Now, Matthew is, uh, in Matthew 13, we have seven parables. Seven parables in this one chapter. Now, Matthew is known as a chiastic gospel. Just make this legal. That's what Alan Scott says. That's where I've gone. We're just going to make this legal by explaining what some of the Bible says around parables. But uh, Matthew 13, the seven parables, and it's a chiastic gospel. That is to say, in terms of its narrative structure, it's, it's, it's like organized as a chiasm, like a circle. That is to say that uh, chapter 1, if you imagine chapter 1 over here, it echoes the message of chapter 28. And chapter 2, it echoes the message of the bit before 28, right? And, it, and so on and so forth until you get right to the middle of the gospel. And the middle of the gospel is chapter 13. And so it's almost as if Matthew is saying the core of the teaching is, of Matthew's gospel is found here in chapter 13. And in that chapter we have seven parables. Now the parables themselves are organized as well. There is one, the first one, which is the parable of the sower. And that is the parable to explain all parables. That is the parable that explains the life and the ministry of Jesus and explains why he's received by some and rejected by others. And of the other six, there are two subsets of three parables. The first is the weeds and the wheat, and that's connected to the one we're reading today, the parable of the net. And then there are uh, the weeds and the weeds followed by two other short parables. After that, there's another set of two <coughs> short parables, and then we have this one. And that ends the parabolic teaching. Now, either side of this parabolic teaching, Matthew 13, there is a story about how Jesus is either accepted or, in this case, rejected by his family. You see, it's, it's, it's intended to be read in that story, in that narrative, and what we see in chapter 13, it says this, the same day, having been uh, rejected, or having rejected in some ways his mothers and brothers, you read this, that same day Jesus went out of the house. Now if you were a first century reader, you would understand when it says that Jesus went out of the house, that what's being described is some kind of, uh, is a, clearly a powerful movement, but it's a movement uh, which suggests that Jesus is no longer welcome. He's no longer welcome in his house, among his mothers and brothers. There is a movement here away from popularity, from welcome. And Jesus moves toward a body of water. Now again, not to get too technical, but for, for Jewish people, any body of water indicated chaos. So it's like Jesus is moving away from the order of his house, moving away from what he knows, moving away from the comfort of home, into the risk and adventure of chaos. Moving away into opposition. He's on the water, they're on the lake. Uh, sorry, they're on the ground, they're on the land. There's a division, a separation that begins here. And it's out of that that Jesus begins to teach on parables. And the parable we have particularly here, we spin forward if you're reading with me from verse 47, is about the net. And the meaning of it, I'll just read a few lines. The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore, 
And they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let me see your gnashed teeth. <laughs> no, no gnashed teeth today. And some of you are like, at last, the teaching on hell! This isn't a primarily teaching on hell, this is a teaching on the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus is beginning and continuing to explain what the kingdom of God is like. And, and the image is fairly obvious to them. But for us it's pretty difficult because we don't live uh, primarily in a pescatarian, is that a thing? A pescatarian culture, a fishing culture. We don't rely on fishing directly to, to find our own food. You know, this would have really resonated with the disciples primarily. If only we had something which contained both bad and good, that was also like a net, that we could sort of update the image. If only there was something that had good things on it and bad things on it that was also a net. Can anybody think of something? Yes, that's right, the internet. The internet. The kingdom of heaven is like the internet. When it was designed, had this intention, you know, that when it was designed, the fisherman, the designer, created it. And pretty soon it was created for this perfect future, and pretty soon we found out there was good stuff in it and there was bad stuff in it. That's what the internet's like. You know, we are so grateful for the internet, you know, I often speak sort of pejoratively, negatively about social media, often about technology. I'm, I'm a little bit of an old-fashioned dude in many ways, but actually we're so grateful for the internet. There's so much good that the internet has brought us. You know, uh, social media allows people to connect. You know, I, I'm able to keep up friendships with great friends of mine in different parts of the earth, uh, whether in different countries. We're able to show the grandkids to the, my parents uh, more than just every time they visit because of you know, FaceTime and Skype and all those great things. You know, many of us have uh, developed relationships. We've met friends. We've met spouses on the internet. Think about this. How on earth would we know what each other was having for dinner? <laughs> Were it not for the internet, Instagram. I wouldn't not, not only would I not know what you were having for dinner, I wouldn't know what it looked like. I wouldn't know, I wouldn't know what, where you were on holiday. I wouldn't know what you were reading. I wouldn't know anything. I'd be a fool without the internet. And truthfully, there is a lot we learn. There's knowledge, there's insight on the internet. What would we do? What would we do without gifts? What would we do without gifts? Hopefully this will work like this one. I don't know if Without the internet, it would be impoverished. What about the next one? This is a great one. Look at this. Yeah, panda. Come on, let's see it. Yeah. <laughs> Pandas obey the rules of gravity too. And without the internet, we wouldn't know that. Alright, let's not keep running that way. <laughs> but we'd be naive if we said that the internet was full also of negative stuff. The very things that create so much opportunity for us, so much opportunity for connection, also distance us. The fact that I can connect with you on Instagram. In, let's be honest, uh, and I, you know, I hate to be going here again, a pretty shallow way. Sometimes, 
creates distance between you and I because it's maybe less easy for me, or maybe there's less of a, an unction to connect with you in a meaningful way. And actually we find that people who are in one way more connected than ever actually feel more distant than we have an epidemic of loneliness in our society. The kingdom of God is a bit like this. You have a decision when anything new comes, when the kingdom of God comes, you have a decision with the internet. Are we going to shut it down? Some people say that, that we need to shut the internet down. Yes, all that good stuff's great, but it's so dangerous. You know, it's particularly dangerous when the President of the United States is on Twitter. And it's like tweeting military secrets. That's dangerous. We need to shut it down. But the thing is, if you shut down the good, you also you shut down the bad, you also shut down the good. The kingdom of heaven is like that. When the new thing comes, when the king is at work, there's good and there's bad. And it's not until the end of time that you get to figure out which was which, that you get to sort it out. It's not until the end of time. The final great harvest, when God comes to fix all the mess. You know, when God is moving, it's not going to be neat and tidy. When God is moving, there will be mess. When God is moving, there will be change. And we don't like change. And we don't like mess. The Pharisees hated it. But if we're honest, there's a little bit of Pharisee in each of us. Let me introduce you to my pet peeve. It's on the screen. And by God's grace, I didn't mean to do this, but Grace clearly has brought some of this one. I can't even, I don't know. So it's probably best when you catch that in That is slime. We have some on the screen for you. Now I even found slime that's Trinity branded. <laughs> so I think we need some sort of deliverance uh, ministry later on on that slime. But I don't know if any of you have come across slime. But if you're a parent, you have. The kids love it. Now, if you're a parent, you've probably tried to outlaw it from your house. I certainly have. Because I'll tell you what slime does. Slime is this stuff. I would, can you try and open it up? I'd love to show it to the people today. <laughs> Look at the consistency of this stuff. Now, it's gooey, it's gloopy. Look at that. Can you see that over there? It's sticky. I can't get it off. Now it's going to stick with me for the rest of the day. Now, slime has this particular property and capability. Uh, let me get me a... Slime has this capability. It is able, somehow, to get in between the space, the very space between atoms. Or so it seems. If you get some slime in your carpet, there is no way until the, the future kingdom comes, which is to say, that slime is coming out. This is not possible. That slime is staying in there till the very end of the age. And I have tried to shut down the slime. Now I know that it brings my daughter joy. Whenever she gets pocket money, she buys slime. I don't know. God has sent it to try me. I want more than anything else to stop the mess. But I've, and I've tried to do it, and I tell you what, when I've done that, I've seen Grace's face crumble. Because for whatever reason, she loves it. It is. It is not possible as a parent. It's not possible as somebody who's pursuing the things of God to live without mess and chaos. In fact, sometimes the more we pursue the things of God, the more we're going to be called into the mess, called into the change, and called into the chaos. 
Back when I lived in California, I played golf with a guy called Bill Fife, a wonderful man. And golf in, in, in uh, California, in America, is different to here. In here, it's all about wearing the right thing, looking the right way. In there, it's all about sort of opening a Bud Light, uh, lighting a cigar, and having some fun with your friends. And so I was on the first tee. I'd sit my first uh, uh, bit of Bud Light, which is very, very light. And I'd had a uh, first drag of a cigar, and I was feeling a little bit floaty already. And I was on the first tee overlooking a lake. And you had to hit over the lake, and I was trying to impress Bill Pfeiffer. Really, really, really impress him. So I, I stood on there, and I was shaking. <laughs> and if anybody's ever played golf, you know it's not a good posture to be shaking. And I was shaking, and I did what all bad golfers do, and I'm a bad golfer. I did what all bad golfers do, and I tensed my body. Because I saw the distance ahead of me that the ball had to carry, and I thought, anyway, if I tense my body, so that would be good. And so I tensed my body. I swung like that. And the ball, I topped the ball, and it flew low. And flat, and I was willing it to go over the water. And ten minutes before the end, it bounced, and it hit the water. But because God was with me, it hopped <laughs> on the top of the water, and it went onto the ferry. Now, that's not the point of this story. But a bit later on in the, in the round golf, Bill, Bill said to me, you know, Johnny, when, when people start things, start new things, he said, you see people start businesses, you start, see people start churches, and they're like, how can I bring order to it? And so they, they, they get the brand sorted, and they figure out their website, and they, you know, everything's, all the ducks are in a row, and he said, Johnny, the problem is they haven't made a mess yet. Whenever you do anything that's going to last, you've got to make a mess first, and then you begin to order. I think Bill spoke something profoundly true about the kingdom of God. It begins with a mess, and it's a mess that Jesus makes. The kingdom of God is like a net. Now I have a friend who has planted a church. And what has shocked me, and has shocked him, he's been doing this for a long time now, a decade, is the opposition he's received from other pastors. He's had people come up to him and say, we don't, we don't want you here. Now this, this church is thriving, it's growing. Hundreds of people are part of this community. It's a vibrant community of faith. The worship life is compelling. They're, they're reaching people with the good news of Jesus. They're doing incredible creative ministry to the poor. This is one of the best churches I know. These are some of the best leaders I know. And those around them don't want them there. They've told them to their face. They've been made consistently unwelcome. By people around them. I'm telling you, that kind of attitude is unacceptable. Unacceptable for a believer and a follower of Christ. We've got to put up with some mess. We've got to be willing to do that institutionally. We've got to be willing to do that in our own personal lives because if there's no life, then you can have. Plenty of order. Where there is life, there will be disorder, there will be chaos, there will be mess. You can go fishing, so I've heard, and it'd be less messy. All you need to do is throw a line out. Bring those fish in, one by one. By, even wear some gloves if you don't want to touch the fish. But the kingdom of heaven is like a fisher who goes out with them. Whenever you do that, it's going to be messy. The kingdom of God is a mess making enterprise. Whenever God shows up, he makes mess. Whenever God shows up, whenever the kingdom moves in power, messy people get 
Because you know the thing is, messy people love the kingdom. Messy people love the kingdom. They love the kingdom. Jesus is criticized most often by people for what? Eating with tax collectors and sinners. And sinners was just shorthand for people like prostitutes. This was a central part of what the kingdom of God was all about. See, the kingdom of God was the announcement that God's good future had broken in now and it was available for everybody. That, it, that relationship to God and, and participation in the life of God and connection with God and his people was no longer based upon obedience to the Torah. It was now available for anybody who responded to Jesus. And Jesus was so compelling that everybody who saw him wanted to respond to him in some way. And particularly the people for whom this news was good news. The people for whom uh, responding and following the Torah was really, really difficult. Because they lived lifestyles. They lived lifestyles that didn't belong in a synagogue. The kingdom of God was good news to the messy people. But it wasn't good news to the people who'd been perfectly obeying the law. Because they had to ask themselves the question, well, why have we been doing all that? Maybe it felt like they'd wasted their time. And of course, Jesus would have welcomed them too. He probably would have told them how their following, their obedience had only hastened his coming. How their obedience, their participation belonged as well. How their faithfulness in times of, and I'm sure you want to do this with churches too, but how their faithfulness in lean times had been part of the release of his kingdom, the fatness of his kingdom. The mess of the kingdom is better than the dull order of religion. Any time, every time. So what's the challenge for us today? We've been praying to see a church on fire and a city alive. Imagine what it's going to be like when God starts to, he is already, but when God continues and in greater measure begins to answer that prayer. Imagine the mess. You know, imagine the mess in worship. Now, it's getting messier. I feel like what I'm seeing is that the moment, it, you know when you walk out, um, when you, if you're on your holidays, and uh, you go out and you ring the water, and it's a bit chilly. And, and you know, there's that thing, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go into this because you know this is probably not appropriate for a Sunday morning, but the water just rises up, doesn't it, your body and you know that thing. Uh, but sometimes you're on a beach where you just like this, you step out, whoa, and the next step you just like you're you're up to your neck. Because it just deepens, isn't it? The coastal shelf just deepens. Just sense it in worship, that's what's happening at the moment. It's just like we stepped off the edge of a ledge. And there are many more ledges to come, but this one feels deeper than we've had before. And that's going to continue to happen. And what happens when you do that? Oh, it's cold. Oh, it's uncomfortable. I don't feel in control anymore when I'm to drink water. If you're one of those people that's like, oh, I know some of those people. What if there's more in our worship? What if the kingdom of God comes in great measure? What if God releases the more? Is it going to be wonderful? Yes. Is it going to be frightening for some of us? Yes, it is. It's going to be. It's going to be hard as well as great. It's going to be amazing, but it's going to be challenging. It will be uncomfortable. We'll see things, we'll hear things we didn't expect. 
That's part of the law of the kingdom. We're not going to be able to stay in control. What about new salvation? We want to see people come to faith. We've seen people come to faith already in the story of Trinity. But what about if it just begins to become the norm? I believe it is going to. Or what about if those people are coming further and further, if you like, away from the settled order of church life? What's that going to look like? When God begins to draw people who look less and less like us, I pray that he will. I pray that this church, I, I, we want this church, our vision and our dream for this church is that, that the demography in this church would match the demo, demographic in our city. That's what we want. We want to be a church of this city, so we want all of the city in the church. That means people of different religious backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds, different social backgrounds. That's what we want. We want to be a church for the city. So we want to be living and looking like the city. Now, praise God, I think we are becoming increasingly diverse. We are so encouraged by that. That is an answer to our prayer, and we continue to pray that prayer. But that is going to be a challenge as well. Not just because more people are going to be here, and goodness knows, you might not get your favourite seat. I'll have mine. I will have my name engraved on it. I'll let you know. Over my dead body. By the way, these seats are not reserved on the floor. But what about more than that? What about if people begin to behave in different ways? They speak in different ways. Maybe they've not been gentrifying quite the same way. The language has maybe been such different. Will we be able to create room for that? What about healing? How amazing is it going to be when we see more and more people healed? George told me that someone was healed in worship just a couple of weeks ago. Isn't that incredible? We're going to see more and more of that. But that is going to be a challenge. Because some people won't be healed. And when more people are healed, it's going to cause those questions to be greater for us. Or why wasn't such and such healing? That is going to be a challenge for us. We're going to see more and more. God is doing a profound thing amongst our kids. Not just our kids, but our youth. We're going to see more. There are going to be more and more young people in this church. More and more and more and more. There's going to be an acceleration of what God's doing in our church around young people. That is going to be messy. Because we're going to see more and more young people uh, coming from outside the church. And that's going to be wonderful, and it's going to be messy. And it's part of what the mess is going to be, is that, going to, that some of them, by the just audacity of their faith, are going to show us up. They're going to reveal to us that some of us, for some of us, myself included, we've been playing it safe. We've been stagnating. We've not been taking risks. We've not been believing that we too can lead our friends to the faith. We've not been taking the challenge of the kingdom seriously. We're going to see leaders raised up here. St. Melitus, a training college, if you don't know this, Church of England Training College, which is a place where people can study, you don't have to be a Church of England above to study theology there, but if you are, it's a place you can be trained for ministry. We're starting here a week on Tuesday. Incredible. We're going to be the home of a, a, a church uh, institution that's going to send leaders Send them. We're going to be a, a, a hotbed, is that even a thing? For leadership development, we are. That's what God is doing here. And that's going to be painful. Because we're going to send some of our best away. And there are times you're going to think, couldn't you blow? Couldn't you just send Johnny and Why do you keep having to send the others? Why can't you send them, Lord? Would you send them? We're going to see a new wave of leaders raised up. We're seeing this with our, 
uh, our internship, which is about to begin again. We're welcoming new interns onto our staff team. We're going to see leaders raise up and we're going to lose some of our best. And not just our best, but we're going to see people going with them. Our favourite people in church are going to be leaving. Because they're going to be part of what God's doing to equip other churches, to plant new churches, to revive other places. We're going to see ministry. Uh, ministry is just beginning to emerge amongst the poor. And we, we are at the moment praying. We're all praying. Oh, what does that look like? And that's going to be both a gift and a challenge. And the next move of God is not going to look like the last one. And so all of us need to be open, particularly those of us who have been in the church a long time. We need to begin with an openness to unlearning some things. It is not going to be as it was then. It's not. I don't know what it's going to be like. But it is going to be the new crashing into the old. There will be change and there will be mess. And hear this. The answer in the mess is not found Politically. That is to say, neither the conservative nor the progressive has the answer. Only the king, Jesus, has the answer. And the people of the king don't align themselves with a political agenda, either on left or right. They align themselves with the king, the king Jesus. What we must never found, be found doing is trying to shut down the new life of the king because it makes us feel uncomfortable. What instead we have to do is to align ourselves with the King, submit to the agenda of the King, and ask Him to involve us and include us in the new thing that He wants to do. Why don't we stand and let's ask Him to do that? Hey, thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. Each week at the end of the podcast, we want to take a few minutes to share some of the stories of what God is doing in our city and in the life of the church. This week, I am here with Holly Taylor. Say hi, Holly. Hi. Holly is going to be an intern here at Trinity this next year. I am. But how long have you been at Trinity, actually? I started coming just over, just under a year ago, in fact. End of September, I came back to Nottingham for my third year of uni. Exactly. But uh, when you did start coming, you immediately got plugged in and started serving primarily with me, uh, with the youth, with the young people of our church. And this past summer, we had the incredible opportunity. We got to take uh, a handful of our youth away with us to Soul Survivor. Yep. The last Soul Survivor. Last one ever. How many how many years had you gone to Soul Survivor before this one? That is a very good question. Probably five with my home youth group. I mean, it's amazing to think about the impact that Soul Survivor as a movement has had across leaders and young people all across the UK, yeah, even, even across the world. And it's kind of sad that they're going, but also they're making incredible room for a fresh wave yeah. of what God is doing. And so we're really excited. I think next year we're going to be going, is it Youth Alive? Is that Focus? Yeah, Focus. Focus Youth, Youth Alive. Event. We're really, really excited about that. But Holly, I just wanted to ask you a few questions about what we see kind of God doing amongst our young people. Yeah. And then particularly uh, what we saw at Soul Survivor this year. We Week B. Yes. What was kind of like maybe maybe a highlight for you of the trip, and then maybe something you felt or something you felt like God was talking to you about uh, about the young people in our city and in our church. Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, I think 
probably the highlight. So we, we went with a group of Nottingham churches. So um, there were a few of us from across the city um, who all camped together. We had our meals together and we tried to sit together in the main meetings. And so it was kind of witnessing the bonds being made between youth groups. And um, at the end of the week, on the very last night, um, one of the youth gave their lives to Jesus which was incredible um, and just witnessing like the celebration um, with the leaders and with the youth um, from the group that we were there with was just super exciting. Yeah it was amazing and was there anything like particular that you felt like God was kind of speaking to you about why you were there whether it's about young people or maybe even just to yourself what do you see God doing? Yeah so um, for me, I think Soul Survivor was really a week of healing, actually. So um, there's been some stuff going on with my home church and with Soul Survivor coming to an end, and it kind of felt like a lot of things were ending that had been really instrumental in my faith journey growing up through youth. Um, so I'm not from a Christian family, and it was the youth group at my home church that kind of kept me in the fold and, and kept me connected and on the right path. Um, and so I think during the week of Soul Survivor, um, God was doing a lot of healing work in helping me let go of that and get me super excited about youth here. And so obviously I've been involved with youth here for a year now and it's been amazing. Um, and I think it was, it was kind of like fueling me up for this year and giving me vision and ideas and dreams for what God wants to see in our youth and, and witnessing all the other, like the closeness of the other youth groups that have maybe been established for yeah. much longer than we have and, and kind of the excitement of us being able to work towards that and, and see our youth grow in closeness with each other and with Jesus. Absolutely, and I feel like in a lot of ways, we're just catching up to what God is already doing. So like this past year in our youth group on Sunday mornings uh, in particular, we've seen, man, we've seen like healings yeah. in youth group. We've seen prophecy. Mm -hmm. We've seen people healed emotionally and physically. Just an incredible time in seeing God move in a really powerful way in our young people. But uh, being an intern, you're primarily, you're stuck with me most yes. of the time next year, <laughs> helping out with the youth. What is one of your like hopes and dreams that you think is like a God dream? for our youth this next year? Earlier in the year, probably around Easter time, I was walking home from church one Sunday and I felt, I don't, I don't, I don't think it came from me, this is why I'm pretty certain it was God. Um, my mind just started going a bit crazy, um, like dreaming about a girls ministry um, starting in our youth. Um, primarily starting with older youth, um, kind of the girls that are heading into sick form um, and, and off to university and then kind of extending up and down age-wise and my mind went like crazy with it, just went big dream and um, it was quite overwhelming and so I think starting to see kind of the start of that um, some kind of girls ministry get started whether that's like bible study or um, just going for coffee um, and it's been great to kind of start that one-on-one -on -one with some of the girls um, this past year in this summer. If you would like to get involved or if you have young people would love to get involved with our youth and even our kids ministry Sunday mornings we have kids church downstairs run with Anna and the team and then also on Sunday mornings we take our youth we split the older and youngers and we take them out and have some time with them 1030 at 192 Mansfield Road and then during the week on Thursdays starting September 20 help me out Holly 26th, 26th I believe I think Thursday, my Thursday the 26th how would we say high school to A levels um so from year seven up really 
really. If you know someone in that age group, we'd love to see them on a Thursday night, 7 to 9 p.m. here at Trinity. If you have a story of something that God is doing wherever you're listening from in the world, we'd love to hear it. Please send us an email at stories at trinitychurchnottingham.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you.